the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. So obviously Jesus is not speaking literally here. It's not a number, it's a necessity. That's what he's meaning. How many times should you forgive someone who sins against you? It's not a number. You're not supposed to keep track of it. You're supposed to just do it out of necessity. Because your Father in Heaven has forgiven you. And so we have to demonstrate the same forgiveness that we ourselves have received. To the degree that you appreciate how much you've been forgiven by God, you will be better able to forgive other people who sin against you. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you a little bit about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a very hard thing. When someone wrongs us, we want revenge, but God calls us to be forgiving. But why? Why does God call us to be forgiving? God wants us to forgive as He has forgiven us. Everyone has sinned against God. That's why He went to the cross for us. If God was willing to do that for forgiveness, what should we be willing to do? Forgive over and over again, never ceasing in forgiveness. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So we left off uh, at uh, the end of chapter 18 at the parable. Some of your Bibles uh, right at verse 21 might be subtitled, The Parable of the Unmerciful Servant. The Parable of the Unmerciful Servant. Now, again, to kind of get the flow of the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples Last week, the previous section that we closed with had to do with how to resolve conflict that you have with a brother or sister in Christ. It has to be conflict of a nature that includes sin, not just offenses. People will offend, sometimes intentionally, unfortunately, and oftentimes unintentionally. The Bible says it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense, so we have to constantly be taking offenses to the Lord. But when there's a sin offense, when there's a sin issue a, where you've been wronged in a sinful way, then there's, there's a process within the church of how to deal with this. And that was the closing section from verses 15 down through verse 20. Uh, go and show the sin to your brother or sister privately. If they still don't listen, then take two or three witnesses who observed the sin issue or like kind. And if they still don't listen, then tell it to the church leadership. And if it is still an unresolved sin issue, then sometimes leadership has to exercise church discipline for the health and well-being of the body. Just like your physical body, if you cannot fight infection, then your body will die. And so it is with the church. If the church doesn't deal with unresolved sin issues, 
in a way where someone is repentant and then forgiven and, and restored, uh, ongoing sinful uh, lifestyles can infect the body and it can destroy a church. So it has to be dealt with in love, with grace, but it has to be dealt with um, in a biblical way. And so on the heels of all that, so Jesus is talking about when you've been sinned against, uh, you know, this is how you resolve it. And so then Peter, here we have verse 21, and here comes Peter. He always loves to say things and then think later. And he says, then, it says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. So see the context? Jesus is talking about people sin against you. You have to learn how to forgive them and, you know, and, and reconcile with them. And then so Peter comes and he says, well, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me, Lord? Now he adds, how about seven times? Now understand the context. The Jewish rabbis in those days taught that the number of times you should forgive someone who sins against you is three times. Somebody sins against you, three times, forgive them. After that, kick them in the teeth. That's basically what they taught. So now you can imagine, as Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? I mean, he's more than doubling what the rabbi said in the day, and you know, just because we know Peter's personality, right? You know that he's sitting there thinking he's going to say the same thing he did back in Matthew 16. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven... You have received divine inspiration. And Peter's waiting for the angel chorus. Ah, you know, I'm sure he is. And, and so he's thinking, this is magnanimous of me. I think seven times. What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus replies, I tell you, verse 22, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, it's not really the greatest translation in the NIV. If you have a King James Version, it says 70 times seven the literal Greek is, how many times should you forgive? Seventy sevens. That's the literal. So it would be more accurate to say 70 times seven. Seventy sevens, or 490 times, is that what Jesus is saying? Get out your calculator. And who's going to really keep track of 490 offenses? And then 491, I am sorry. <laughs> I've given you 490 and that's it. So obviously Jesus is not speaking literally here. It's not a number it's a necessity. That's what he's meaning. How many times should you forgive someone who sins against you? It's not a number. You're not supposed to keep track of it. You're supposed to just do it out of necessity. Because your Father in heaven has forgiven you. And so we have to demonstrate the same forgiveness that we ourselves have received. To the degree that you appreciate how much you've been forgiven by God, you will be better able to forgive other people who sin against you. Now, Jesus then launches into a parable to teach this, a parable called the unmerciful servant. And so he goes, verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, I'm just going to kind of read the, between the spiritual lines here as we go. The king is God the Father in this parable. The servants are people, humanity, you and me. So the king... The kingdom of heaven is like a king, God, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, with people. And as he began to, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now make a footnote there in the margin of your Bible that one talent, it was the largest measurement of uh, weight and finances. A talent was 75 pounds of silver. That's what a talent was. And 
The Bible tells us in Matthew 20 that a denarii was a single day's wage. And we know from calculating weights and measurements that a talent was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. Now, I've already done the math, and you can go back and listen to the CD and slow it down and, and check my math. But basically, one talent is the equivalent. If one denarii is the equivalent of one day's salary, one day's wages, and a talent is the equivalent of 6,000 days wages, it's roughly 16 years salary, one talent. Now, I'm going to use round numbers for the sake of just showing here what Jesus intends. So let's say one talent for round numbers is the equivalent of 15 years of wages. 15 years of wages. And Jesus says here that a man owed the king, the servant owed the king, 10 thousand talents. That's the equivalent of 150,000 years of wages. So he's using an exaggerated number. This is an impossibility in the sense of your ability to repay this. Who can repay 150,000 years of annual wages? But that's what this guy owes the king. Now, by the way, when you calculate the math of it, if, if a talent is 75 pounds of silver in this day, and, and I just kind of looked today to see, okay, what is silver trading at? Silver closed at $24 an ounce, roughly. And so I did the math. What is 10,000 talents if, if silver is 22 23 $24 an ounce? And it calculates to, check this out, a talent in today's wages would, would be, if I use $22 an ounce, would be... $26,400 per talent. There's 10,000 of them. So that's the equivalent of owing, by today's standard, $264 million. So a king comes to you and says, you owe me $264 million. Now, how are you going to repay this? And so, so that's just to kind of get the, the frame of the context. That's what Jesus is saying here. And, and so here comes the servant. He's brought to the king because he, he owes the king this exorbitant amount. And it says in verse 25, Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So follow the picture. So we owe a debt to God the king that we just simply can't pay. And what we deserve really is to be punished. The sin debt is what we owe. We are sinners and, and we can't possibly do anything to repay our sinfulness so that we are in good standing with the king. We, we owe a debt we just simply cannot pay. That's why Jesus pays it for us. But the penalty is the servant's going to be thrown uh, in, into prison. He can't repay the debt. Well, verse 26, he continues in the parable. He says, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, it's an unreasonable thought, okay? You, you cannot pay back 150,000 years of annual wages in the same way that you and I, he thinks if I just have enough time, I will be able to remedy this. You and I cannot remedy our sinful nature just given an amount of time. And there are people who think this, you know, I'll just, if I can live long enough and possibly do enough good things, it'll outweigh the bad things I do, and then I'll be in good standing with God. You don't have enough time to remedy all the bad things you've ever done or thought or said. 
It's impossible. And here comes the mercy of, of the king. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So that's the mercy of our king. He cancels the debt that we owe. And Jesus paid it in full for us. This is a beautiful illustration of uh, salvation by grace and the, the payment that Jesus paid by the shedding of his blood that canceled our debt that we owed. But now here comes, here comes the problem in the parable because here this guy is forgiven a huge debt, a huge unpayable debt. And it says then, verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now again, a denarii was a day's wage. So you have a hundred days wage. So you have about three months or so of wages that is owed this guy. Now what did he owe? 150,000 years. But here comes a guy that owes him about three months. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus adds, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. So there's two aspects to this parable. First aspect is to understand the magnitude of the forgiveness that each of us have received by God. That we owed a debt none of us could pay. We're sinners. We're steeped in sin from birth, the Bible says. We're born into a sinful nature. We've inherited it from Adam. And then on top of being born with a sinful nature, we contribute to our sinful nature over the years of our life. But what we do by what we say, by what we think in sinful, evil, wicked ways, here we stand against the backdrop of God's perfect standard. He's pure and holy and perfect in all his ways. We can't measure up. We have a debt that needs to be paid, but we can't possibly pay it by doing good works or having enough time to show ourselves good. So God sends his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. He pays the debt on our behalf and cancels our account paid in full. Now, then therefore, Jesus says, we need to go and do likewise. We need to be as merciful and forgiving towards others who have wronged us and sinned against us. So when Peter says, well, how many times should I forgive? So how about 70? How about seven times? Jesus says, no, 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 it's not a number. It's a necessity. It needs to be practiced as many times as you are sinned against because you have been forgiven such a huge debt from your heavenly father of the offenses that you've committed against him. Now, there are basically two principles here that I want us to glean from this parable that I think Jesus is trying to teach us. And here's the first one is this, that no man can possibly offend me to the extent my sins have offended God. If you keep that in mind, it will help you to forgive other people. When you realize that no other person can possibly offend you to the extent that your own sins offended God, then you will be able to have mercy and forgiveness towards them because you received mercy and forgiveness from your Heavenly Father. There's no offense greater 
than the offenses that each of us have committed against God. And yet he forgives us and he loves us. And the second thing that's important from this parable is this, that genuine forgiveness from the heart is required of all who have been forgiven. It's required of us as Christians. Now, I don't know how you process forgiveness, um, you know, whether you, you say, I forgive you, and then trust the feelings to come later, or whether you are processing it until you feel it so that then you can genuinely say, I forgive you. Either way, whatever your personal approach to forgiveness is, we still have to be people of forgiveness. I think either approach is fine. If, if, if you want to say, I forgive you, knowing that you don't really feel it yet and you trust the feelings will come, or if you say, I want to forgive you, but I want to, I want to wait until the Lord helps me to process this so I can genuinely feel it and express it to you, either way, the, the bottom line is we have to be people of forgiveness. And there will be offenses, and there will be sins against us, and there will be things that are done. And God requires us to be forgiving because we have received forgiveness. Now, Colossians 3.13 is a great verse. Mark it down in your Bibles. Colossians 3.13, it says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's a tall order. I mean, how has the Lord forgiven you? How have you experienced His forgiveness? God says, now I want you to turn and do that to others. If you can get a hold of anything on this subject written by Corey Ten Boom, do it. Because she was a remarkable woman who, uh, many of you know her story, but uh, she was in a Nazi concentration camp with her family uh, the rest of her family died, was put in the gas chambers. She uh, survived and then lived to tell about her, her ordeal until the day she died. Uh, I think she died in the 80s. Uh, pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, uh, my pastor, did her funeral. And she had remarkable things to say about how the Lord just grew her through that whole experience in, in the concentration camp. And uh, she writes in one of her books, I, I don't know uh, which one, but she writes about how uh, she was uh, in her latter years traveling to churches around the world really uh, talking about um, forgiveness, talking about the subject of forgiveness and how the Lord had to work on her own heart to forgive the, uh, the SS officers in, in Nazi Germany who exterminated her own family and, and all the, the personal uh, torment that she went through and watching her family die and all of this. And she was talking about the subject of forgiveness and giving her testimony. And at the end of one of her um, times sharing at a church, this gentleman walked up to her and stuck out his hand and asked for her forgiveness. And she recognized as she looked into his eyes that he was the SS officer who had uh, killed her sister. And uh, she talks about how being put on that spot at that moment to have to extend her hand and to, sh- and to look him in the eyes and to say, I forgive you, was one of the hardest things that she's ever had to, to do. But yet she practiced what she preached, if you will. And, um, and she talks about how liberating it was for her to finally be able to forgive the monster that had uh, taken her own family's life. So, look, it is, it is not always easy. Uh, the Bible doesn't say it's easy to forgive, but it tells us that we need to because we need to practice what we ourselves have received. 
So now, uh, when you head here with me into chapter 19, we come to this uh, subject of divorce. And uh, between verses 1 through uh, 12, uh, there is this section here. And in the time we have remaining, I'm going to do the best I can to make my way through it. Uh, But let me read it all together, and then we'll come back and talk about it. So here, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. And notice this, they're not being sincere. They They came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, they've come to test Jesus here on the subject of divorce because there was a conservative view of the the subject of divorce, and there was a liberal view of the subject of divorce. And in Jesus' day, much like our own day, it was rampant. And so some Pharisees come to test him. They want to know what side of the argument does he fall on. The, the conservative side of the argument or the liberal side of the argument. And it was all based, all of this was based, the issue at hand was the interpretation of Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Now, this is what Deuteronomy 24, 1 says. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce. And then the verse continues... But the main controversy in Jesus' day and the reason that they're trying to test him was over one particular word in this verse, and it is the word indecent. If you have a King James Bible, it says the word unclean. And the question became, what defines indecent? If you can divorce your wife because she's done something indecent, then what defines indecent? Because then we can know what is a legitimate reason to divorce. So again, indecent or King James says unclean. What defines indecent or unclean? Now, there were two schools of thought in Jesus' day on the subject of Deuteronomy 24.1 and specifically what does the word indecent mean? And in Jesus' day, Jesus was considered a rabbi. He was considered a a respectful teacher, although we know he was much more than a rabbi. He was more than a prophet. He was Messiah. He was Son of God. But there were schools of thought, even in Jesus' day, depending on what little circles uh, you traveled in. And there was one rabbi in, in, in Jesus' day called Rabbi Shammai. And he interpreted Deuteronomy 24.1, the word indecent, to mean sexual immorality. Oh, please, no, 
Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know